Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by our longtime friend and member, Scotty Miser. Today's reading comes from Acts 9, 1 to 19. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord. He answered, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, y'all. It's me, Scotty, Julie's husband. Uh, this sermon begins our series on what did Jesus have to say about mission? And I'll admit, this passage may seem like an odd start, uh, mostly because this is after Jesus's earthly ministry. This is post-resurrection Jesus. But if you look in your Bible, the letters are still in red. This still counts. This is nonetheless a meeting of the Christ. According to our traditions, these are the words of Jesus, and just because he didn't have feet on the ground at the time doesn't mean we should discount them. 
it's also a weird place to start because it doesn't mention most of the things we associate with mission in modern evangelicalism. There's no mention of heaven or hell, how to get to one, how to avoid the other, etc. And yet, this is the origin story of the man who goes on to be Jesus' chosen instrument to proclaim Jesus' name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. This is the start of Paul. His name is under most of the books. And I think it actually has a great deal to teach us about mission and how we can be witnesses to Jesus' good work. Throughout this series, you're going to hear a number of speakers come up and offer their perspectives on the passages of the words of Christ. You'll hear other teachers give other angles on mission, other scriptures about mission. This morning, you get me, and you get Acts 9, 1 to 19. So that's going to be our goal today. We're going to look at this passage, and we're going to ask the question, how do we do mission according to Acts 9, 1 to 19. It's a hard start, I'm going to warn you. It's a hard start, but there is good news coming. Can we believe in that? There's a hard start here, but there is good news coming, amen? So we bring up this scripture. All right, so there he is, by the way, trusty little arrow to Saul there, falling on the road of Damascus. Uh, bring up that next slide there, Kat. So how to do mission according to Acts 9, 1 to 19, number one, we repent for the sins of God's church. Bring up that next slide, Kat. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And as we know, the men traveling with Saul, they stood there speechless. They heard the sound. They didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. This is a hard start for Saul. Saul played a major role in the hunting, the imprisonment, and the killing of Christians for crimes of blasphemy against the religious order. These murderous threats that Saul was breathing against the Christians, we know just from the previous chapter like, flip the page, and you'll see that they are more than just threats. 
the martyrdom of Stephen, where he's brought before the Sanhedrin, our first documented martyrdom, it said explicitly that Saul approved their killing him. Earlier translations will even specify Saul was there giving approval. So that's him on the right. Saul witnessed the martyrdom of Stephen in the previous chapter. He watched Stephen be stoned to death. And it's interesting here. Jesus does not say, Saul, why do you persecute Christians? Saul, why did you persecute Stephen? Jesus says, Saul, you are persecuting me when you're doing this. We gloss over Saul's backstory too often because we want to skip to the ministry. But the fact is, these acts were atrocious. And all the while, the scariest part is that Saul was doing them because he thought he was righteous. Saul thought he was righteous. Saul thought he was right. And that should humble us. It should remind us to be aware of where our love of Jesus can blind us to the sins of his church. Often our love of Jesus can blind us to the sins of his church and where we feel righteous and we deal harm. I warned you, it's a hard start. I want to talk about just, just one implication of the church today. Look at this icon. Now look at this next slide. This is an image of the Pequot War. It's one of the first sustained conflicts between European settlers and native peoples. And these weren't just Europeans being Europeans. These were Puritans. They were Christians. And to them, they were not acting in spite of their faith. This action, these killings of 700 native peoples, the first of many, just could not have happened in the way that it did without the church. The church gave these conflicts a special fervor and fear. The belief that these Puritans felt that a holy people were owed a promised land and that anyone in the way was just a Canaanite who needed to be wiped out. The church did not create this out of scratch, but to quote Indigenous Christian Sarah Augustine, the church created the moral framework for global land theft. I don't share this to give a bad feeling that we need to stay in forever, but we need to consider it. I share this partly to explain the anxiety and the fear that we may already feel with missions. I share this to show you guys 
why, in part, the name Jesus does not inspire hope for everyone. It is very hard to this day to be an indigenous Christian in a land where, in a land where precedent makes law, in a land where, as recently as 2005, 1823 court sightings were used against native tribes. The moral framework the church began continues to fuel the engines of oppression. We'll bring up that next slide, Kat. And this is why I start here. I don't start here to stay here. I start here to say that before we try to do the work of missions, we must repent for the times we have been solved. Lord, we repent. And may we continue to turn away from the times that we have hurt others in your name. Guide us in this dismantling. In your name, amen. So where do we go from here? I don't have the answer to this. And honestly, would you believe me if I told you I did? Like if I walked up here and said like, no guys, I got it. We're going to solve this this morning. You wouldn't believe me and you shouldn't. But what does Acts 9 chapters 1 through 19 teach us can happen? How to do mission according to Acts 9, 1 through 19? Despite our wickedness, we believe Jesus is working. Amen? We believe Jesus is working. It's the belief that Saul was called into, and it's the belief, as we'll see, Ananias is called into. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. Sorry, just an aside. Uh, Justin and I were reading this yesterday, and we both found it kind of funny that this starts with a greeting. Like they have to introduce each other. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus Saul, for he is praying in a vision. He has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias has never met Saul. To Ananias, Saul is really just an abstract concept. To Ananias, Saul is a threat of violence. And now the Lord has told him to go 
to the person most likely to harm him and acknowledge the work that Jesus is doing in him. Just try and imagine that. Try and put yourself there. Who is it for you? Who is it that if God were to say, go to Saul, your first response would be, do you mean that Saul? Do you mean that Saul, the Saul of Tarsus? Saul is an abstract concept, a threat of violence. And yet, though Ananias is fearful enough to correct the Lord, he believes enough in the possibility to follow this command. He believes enough to take this risk. The church today is in a much different place than the church was in these centuries. And I doubt we could ever really fully imagine what was going on in Ananias' head. But it doesn't take large fears to keep us from opening up about God. I remember one time I, uh, I was in a... I was in a group called Philosophy. It was an open discussion group. And one of the students had heard a poem that I'd written. And it was called A Haiku on Dark Matter. Would you like to hear the haiku on dark matter? It takes, it's very short, it's a haiku. If dark matter is real, it outnumbers everything, but it might not be. That's my haiku on dark matter, thank you. <laughs> I shared that in a poetry night one night, not sure if it would have meant anything to anyone else, how many hours I had spent just like thinking about dark matter. But then one time, um, a girl named Pam, much younger than me, who had been coming to this uh, philosophy group, and who I didn't know a good deal, but who I knew wasn't involved in church. Weeks later, she brought up this poem to me. She says, hey, Scotty, that haiku on dark matter, sometimes I'll just think about that. Sometimes I'll just think, huh, that's a thing Scotty said. I was like, yeah. And then there was just this silence. And I was like, do I risk it? Do I risk telling just what this means to me? We were at the cantina at the time. I leaned over the nachos. I said, if I'm honest, I mean, that's kind of how I think about God. And immediately she said, me too! And we were able to nerd out about God and dark matter in a way that never would have happened if I had been playing my cards close to my chest, if I had been opting for the safest route. But the work of God does not happen. The work of God does not happen in ways that we can see when we take the safest route. 
What else do we know about Ananias? Literally nothing. <laughs> but we know that he took this risk. This is the thing that he's known for. We repent for the sins of God's church. We believe Jesus is working. Amen? Jesus is working. It's a hard start, but good news is coming. How to do mission according to Acts 9, 1 to 19, number 3. We mend what is broken. Ananias went to the house and entered it. That's a heck of a transition, by the way. We don't know what happened after God said go. We don't know what Ananias was thinking. We just get, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking food, he regained his strength. Like I said, we don't know what Ananias was feeling when he knocked on that door. We know that he took the risk. And I like to imagine that as he walked through that door, Saul was no longer an abstract concept. Saul was no longer a force or a threat of violence. What he saw was a scared, blind man. Had not eaten, had no water for three days. Ananias dared to walk into the heart of empire. And what he saw was not fearful. What he saw was pitiable. And what are Ananias' first words to Saul? Did you catch it? Brother Saul. That's an oxymoron. Brother Saul? Brother Saul. He walks in, he places his hands on this man. And he says, You are family. When you persecuted, you were persecuting your own. You persecuted Jesus but now you belong to him. And so we belong to each other. If we walked into our most fearful confrontations, into our most fearful just conversations that keep us up at night, and we assumed belonging, we assumed that God was working in that person somehow, some way. It's a radical thing because it should be a radical thing. I'm staring out at people who I, I know have been hurt, have been hurt in vulnerable situations. 
What this story reminds us is that healing goes not just to the difficult places, it goes to the impossible places. Ananias would not have come up with this idea. He would not have come up with, you know what I should do? I should check in on Saul of Tarsus. He could probably use a good word. No. This is the work of God. This is the work of Jesus in mending what is broken. I want to end this thought. If you go to the icon there, Kat. So almost the, the only icons you can find of Ananias are the ones where he's baptizing Saul. Um, he's usually writing that big goblet. This is a very, this is a very typical uh, conversion of Saul. Now, Ananias is doing the good work, right? He's risking his life, his hide. But is he really doing the work? Is he giving Saul the Holy Spirit? What do you see in that top right corner? The same Jesus who Stephen saw standing at the right hand of God as he met his violent death. It's the same Jesus Saul saw on the road to Damascus who said, why are you persecuting me? It's the same Jesus who called Ananias to go and restore Saul's sight and is the same Jesus who grants God's Holy Spirit, God's Ruach, breathing in to lifeless places, breathing into places that are not merely dead, but places that have caused death, that have caused harm. This is the good news. It's not us doing the heavy lifting. This is the good news. It's a hard start, friends. Thank you for being patient. I know it's a hard start, but there's good news on the other side. Amen. I'll now give you some time to reflect. We talked about repent, believe, and mend. And I'll leave all of these here as options to you to reflect on. Maybe you need to repent. Ask God for the healing of the sins of God's church. Maybe we need to stretch our imaginations and believe. Where have you seen God work in unexpected ways? What are those moments that you can look back on and say, okay, I didn't expect it then. So maybe he's working in unexpected ways now. But if neither of those really reach to you, I would just ask you to reflect on yourself and say, who is your brother Saul? And ask you now to simply pray for them and trust that God is working. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.